this is a bit of a strange case of deja vu because I was here this time yesterday uh, with my wife and two other couples doing a marriage seminar. Was, was there anyone here who was at that? Oh, there we go. Now, that's it's a bit worrying, isn't it, that they went to a marriage seminar. Now I'm coming to the seminar on conflict. <laughs> we obviously... <laughs> Good. Lovely to see you again, but you're not going to see very much of me because this is uh, something completely um, different. I'm here really to introduce Amy Rayner, um, uh, talking on the subject of healthy conflict. That's right, isn't it? Um, I mean, Rayner's got some really relevant experience um, around this. Um, both um, in the workplace, where she held a senior position at a large um, insurer as head of learning, um, leadership, and culture. It's a mouthful, isn't it? But um, in, in that circumstance, and also in a place um, as a member of the leadership team at Citygate in Bournemouth, um, she's had involvement um, uh, with conflict, um, uh, a resolution and mediation um, with individuals, with teams, um, and uh, particularly in the work workplace, uh, with coaching senior leaders in this area, because I uh, believe you me, it's a key area, and of course you, you all believe that because you're here. Um, I actually know Irena um, also from the um, strategy work which is being done within Commission at the moment. And you've, have you all heard of Shaw, Send, Unify, Release and Equip? And uh, that's gone on to the next stage and there are ten sort of bits of work. Um, and myself and Irena and a part of a team who are working together on leadership and uh, looking to identify, um, develop and release um, new leaders for the church because if we're looking to transform lives of thousands through hundreds of churches and tens of nations, we're going to need hundreds of leaders as well. And I say that Irena is a real godsend in there because having her, um, her professional experience um, out um, in industry, um, but also having that applied within a church leadership context as well, makes her uniquely a position to real add value there. So from what I know of Irena, um, you know, her level of expertise, um, her humility, uh, but also a really engaging uh, communication style. Um, so all that together, I'm sure we're going to have a really good um, hour or so now. So Irena, thank you very much. Thank you, Robin. Gosh, that felt like a lot to live up to. Uh, <laughs> good afternoon. Um, as Robin said, I'm going to talk to you about healthy conflict. And actually, uh, in terms of my experience of conflict, um, Robin described a lot of the work that I've done. I have worked with a lot of leaders over the years, in particular, helping them with conflict with peers, with people they're leading, with their own bosses. And sometimes, Robin is also a coach, so if you've got questions, you can ask him as well. Uh, sometimes when you're helping people with conflict in work, you tend to find that the same issue is prevalent in their personal life. So you start coaching someone about a work conflict, you end up talking about their wife, their teenager, their husband, their father, their mother. Um, so conflict became a really common part of my work. I studied it from a psychological perspective, different human reactions. 
um, and also different models for conflict. And then going into working for the church, I know that we like to pretend there's no conflict in church, but the reality is actually it, it still happens. It happens working in the church and it happens being part of a church family. Despite all of that work experience, most of what I'm going to share with you is actually about my own life experience in conflict. So it's going to draw on the things I learned from work. It's going to draw on uh, some of the things that I know. But I'm actually going to share lessons I learned the hard way, often by getting it wrong. Um, because con conflict is a big subject. So we can talk about conflict on a cosmic scale. So Satan is in conflict with God. Since the beginning of time, we know there's been conflict. We know that mankind is in conflict with God since the fall. We know that nations are in conflict with each other, and we can talk about conflict on a massive scale. We also know that conflict can happen on a medium-sized scale. So it could be that you've got a conflict in your family, you could have a conflict in your community, some people want to bypass, some people don't want to bypass, a workplace conflict over a project. There's all sorts of reasons we can conflict. And then we have individual one-to-one -one conflict. And those tend to be the ones that bother us the most. So those one-to-one -one conflicts with a friend, with a spouse, with your child, with your parent, they're the ones that really get under your skin. So those are the kind of conflicts I'm mainly going to focus on today. And some conflicts even can be quite silly, but they still happen. So my husband and I have recently bought our first house, and it's very exciting, but we've discovered there's all new reasons to conflict. <laughs> We're trying very hard not to. He's here in the room, so I'm not saying anything I'm going to get into trouble for. <laughs> Everything from what tiles are we going to have on the floor to I would like a cushion with bees on uh, to can we have pink in the house? No, we cannot have pink in the house. Those kind of conversations. But conflict is really natural. It's normal. It happens constantly through life, whether it's the big, big conflict or whether it's the little, minor conflicts. So if it's so natural and if it's so normal, if it's been going on since the beginning of time and it's going to go on until we go to heaven, why do we find it so hard? Why are we so uncomfortable with conflict? And I've got a theory. I'd like to suggest there are three main reasons we find it hard. It's not the exclusive list, but it is the most common reasons I've come across when I've been helping people. The first one is, we like to be liked. Well, I certainly like to be liked. I don't know about you guys. But often when we make friendships, when we meet people, the basis of that friendship is rapport. Rapport is basically we have a common ground. There's something we agree on. Now, that something could be we both like motorbikes, we both like rock music, we both like classical music, we both go to the same church, all sorts of reasons, but we're looking for a point of agreement. We've got rapport. So as soon as you get into a conflict, what happens? You're breaking the rapport. You're saying, suddenly, I'm disagreeing with you on something. Does that mean you're like me? Does that mean I like you? It feels like the relationship is in question. And the third reason we tend to not like conflict, the third, third reason we tend to find it uncomfortable, for some of us, it might be because we're afraid of our own reactions. So this isn't true for everyone, but most people tend to fall into one of two camps with conflict. You either avoid it, you think, oh, I really don't want to deal with this, or you rush headlong into it, you get really stuck in. And sometimes you can be afraid, especially as a Christian, of how you're going to react. Am I going to completely lose it with that person? Am I going to say things I regret? Can I actually trust myself to be a good witness if I go into conflict? Or am I just going to get really, really angry? So conflict can be unpredictable. We don't like it because we can't control it. 
We don't know the outcome. We don't like to break rapport with people. And sometimes we're afraid of how we're going to handle it ourselves. And there are consequences to conflict. If you rush headlong in, you tend to find you've not really thought about how you're going to deal with it. And you can often leave quite a lot of damage in your wake. You find that sometimes it can actually break the relationship. But if you avoid it, what you find is it doesn't often go away. So if it's a one-off conflict, if it's, I don't know, somebody cuts you up in the road, that you can kind of let go. might be annoying for the rest of the drive. You might be stewing on it. But you can carry on and think, dumb, never going to see that person again. But when you're in an ongoing relationship with someone, if you keep avoiding conflict, all that happens is it starts to build up and build up and build up. And you become like a little pressure cooker. And eventually, it's either going to start to erupt out in a big explosion, which might break relationship, or it starts to leak out in little bits, which just slowly adds tension to the relationship. Has anyone ever been there? Yeah, some nods. It's difficult when you avoid, because eventually, you often end up dealing with a conflict anyway, but only when it's got so bad that you can't ignore it anymore. So I had a situation a few years ago with a, a boss of mine who I loved, really nice guy, we got on so, so well. And we've only ever had one big conflict. And in that conflict, he was really angry with me. And I was so shocked because we had such a good relationship. And he was actually angry at me about something that I hadn't done. So someone else had said something. He was angry because he thought it was true. Uh, he said quite a lot of hurtful things, really lost his temper, jumped to conclusions, just jumped down my throat. It was, it was quite a hard interaction. In that moment, I did speak the truth. I did say, actually, that, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. This is actually the situation. So it looked like it had been resolved. But I was still really upset with him because he'd been so angry, because he'd been so rude, because he'd said such harsh things, because he'd jumped to conclusions without asking me first. But because I was worried about the relationship, I didn't say anything. But it didn't really go away. I forgave him, so I wasn't angry with him. I felt like I was letting go of the hurt over time, but it meant that I was quite wary when I reacted to situations in the future. It meant that I was kind of on edge with him. I didn't trust him quite as much. It had consequences. A year and a half goes by before I actually talk to him about it. And when I tell him, I say, oh, actually, I, I've kind of been struggling because of this that happened. What's the first thing you think he said to me? He said, why didn't you tell me at the time? I can't believe you felt like that for a year and a half and I've not had the chance to put it right. And that was a really, really important lesson for me is that actually conflict done well, speaking up when something's not right, can actually be a gift to the other person because it gives an opportunity for change. And by not telling him, I hadn't given any opportunity for that situation to change and I hadn't given an opportunity to put it right. And he was, he was pretty upset by that and it, it just taught me a lesson and I've seen that play out in so many conflicts with so many people since. I've watched leaders in particular who don't want to tell people that are working for them that they're not doing a good job. Have we got anyone in the room here that leads or manages people? Can you give me a little wave? Okay, so we've got some. How difficult is it to tell someone they're not doing a good job? It's so horrible. No one wants to do that. You feel like you're just going to discourage them. You feel like they might not like you if you say it. You feel like you're going to hurt their feelings. Every time I've watched a leader not tell someone they're not doing a good job, it's never worked out well, either for them or for the person that's not being told, because they've got no chance to change. 
And when they do eventually get forced to deal with it, either because it's, it's gone on too long or it's got worse, the other person feels fairly aggrieved that they didn't know a while ago that there was some unhappiness. My advice always in conflict is to rip off the plaster. Rip off the plaster, let the air get to it, and heal the situation. Healthy conflict can actually be healing. It can be restorative. To say what the issue is, to clear the air, can be restoring, it can build and strengthen relationships. But, as Christians, is that okay to rip off the plaster? Is it okay to go into conflict? I don't know about you, but I often wondered that. I used to think, I'm always addressing stuff with people, but actually, doesn't the Bible say I'm meant to turn the other cheek? Am I not meant to be a peacemaker? Is it okay for me to be in conflict? And actually, uh, yes, we are meant to be peacemakers. We are meant to be people that turn the other cheek, but that doesn't mean that we don't go into conflict. So those verses are talking as much about giving up our right for revenge and uh, the acknowledgement that we need to forgive people as it is about allowing something to happen. We know this through common sense. We know it through pastoral situations. We know if someone was being beaten by their spouse, we wouldn't say to them, just turn the other cheek. Don't raise it as an issue. Just, you know, be a peacemaker. We don't say that because it's not right. What we are saying is that our ultimate goal is peace and reconciliation. But the way that we get there can sometimes actually be through conflict. And what I found helpful is a um, guy gave out a book last night. Did all of you get this? I haven't read it all. I'm not that much of a uh, teacher's pet. But I did have a look at one section because blessed are the peacemakers is one of the Beatitudes. And I wanted to see what he'd written about it. And let me share with you what Guy's written about conflict. He says, We find conflict everywhere. The disciple of Jesus is called to peacemaking, not peacekeeping. This is not about avoiding conflict at all costs. It will require us to call people to account and to speak up. There we go. Even, even Guy thinks conflict's okay. But seriously, healthy conflict, it leads to a resolution. And you see this in the life of Jesus. He actually willingly steps into conflict all the time, even though he's a peacemaker. So we can think of famous examples like he went into the temple courts and he overturned the tables. But there are also less obvious ways. Sometimes we miss the ways. So I'm going to read to you the story of when Jesus heals the paralytic. So this will be familiar to a lot of you. It's in Mark 2, if you want to turn to it. So we often remember this as a great example of faith. Faith of the friends who lower him down the amazing healing that Jesus is starting to do. But there's conflict in here. So from verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let, the bed, let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, 
Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So in that, there was conflict. The scribes were sitting there disagreeing with Jesus, thinking, what are you doing? You don't have the right to do that. You don't have the authority to do that. You're absolutely wrong. They didn't even say it out loud. So Jesus didn't have to enter into that conflict. He could have just let it go, but he didn't. He called out what was wrong. Not only did he tell them that he w- they were wrong, not only did he willingly enter that conflict, but he then went even further and said, not only am I telling you you're wrong about what you're saying, but I'm going to do something even more against what you think. I'm going to show you exactly how wrong you are by going even further in my authority. He not only steps into that confrontation, but he's even provoking a little bit. And the responses all were amazed because of what God was doing. Now, we also know in the life of Jesus, there were times when he didn't say anything, where actually he stayed silent. So the obvious example is when he was being sentenced to death. And at that point, he didn't enter the confrontation. He didn't jump in and say, what you're doing is wrong. I'm the son of God. And we know the reason why he didn't know that, do that if we know the gospel. Because God had specifically spoken and specifically said, this needs to happen. This is not a battle that you're fighting in this way. There are times like that where it's obvious, where you might pray and discern that actually it's not right to enter the battle. But those times are few and far between when God has got a specific purpose. Most of the time, throughout the examples in the Bible, people step into the conflict. And ultimately, for us as believers, the goal is peace, it's unity, and it's reconciliation, because that was Jesus' goal, and we look to him as our model. His very life... Him being on this earth was about unity and reconciliation. But there was conflict along the way. There was conflict all through his life, but his end goal was to unite us with the Father. And we're called to be united with one another, not just with the Father, but with each other. So, for example, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So he's exhorting us to make sure that unity is a priority. And there's a word in there, gentleness, which I often hear people use as an excuse not to be in conflict because they want to be gentle. Uh, And I've heard a great definition of gentleness for the Christian. And that is that gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. So when you're in conflict, it doesn't mean you have to be weak. It doesn't mean you have to hold back. What it means is that your strength is under control. We also hear in the prayer of Jesus that unity is important. In John 17, verse 20, he's been praying for his disciples and his followers uh, because he knows he's about to die. And then he starts praying for us. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's us, those that have believed through the word of previous followers. He prays that they may all be one, united, 
just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. We're all united together, so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that's the point of unity. It's so that the world will look at our unity and marvel at it and say, God really must have sent his son because they're reconciled with one another. They're reconciled with one another because they're reconciled with God. You see, conflict can actually lead us to unity. Jesus went through conflict in order to achieve unity. And avoiding conflict doesn't bring real unity. All it does is paper over the cracks, sweep it under the carpet. It's a fake unity. And that's a strong word to use, but we can be guilty of that sometimes. Or we run headlong into conflict without thinking about the consequences, say whatever we feel like saying, and we break unity. And those seem to be the two responses that we're caught in. We either fake unity or we break unity. And there's got to be another way. I think that the way to make it a healthy conflict is all in how you go about it. And I've got a, a bit of a formula, if you can see the flip chart, which I'm going to write up for you. It's something I found helpful in lots of areas of life, actually. But particularly, it's useful in conflict, and it's this. Event plus response equals outcome. Right, I'll move out of the way in a second. So, events happen, we could call the event conflict, stuff goes wrong, stuff happens that we disagree with, someone says something we don't like, we can't control that, stuff happens, but what we can control is our response, the way that we respond to conflict is the only aspect that we've got any control over that's going to influence the overall outcome, does that make sense? So you can't control what happens to you. You can choose how you respond. How you respond can help influence and give you some chance of reaching the goal of unity. So that's what I'm going to share with you now is three sort of big lessons I've learned about how to respond to conflict. And the first one is actually more of a question. The first one is, have you ever noticed that it's much easier to be in conflict with some people rather than others? Have you ever found yourself having particular people in your life that you can easily step into a disagreement with in a matter of seconds? You don't even think about it, you're in it. And other people that actually you will hesitate quite a lot before you go into conflict with. So, for example, for me, it's my brothers. My brothers know how to push my buttons in ways that no one else can. They literally can just provoke me in seconds. But I really love them. They're my brothers. We get on really, really well. But they, they do know how to, uh, yeah, get to me. And we disagree on a lot of things. We've got very different lives. So I find myself with my brothers, as soon as something said I disagree with, I step straight into that conflict happily. Why is that? It's because I feel safe in that relationship. No matter what's said, no matter how heated we might be with each other, at the end of that conversation, they're still my brothers. I'm still their sister. 
And that safety of relationship really changes the way that conflict feels. And I'll give you a, a work example of, of how this has played out for me. Um, a few years back, I started working with a guy called Russ. He was on my team. Um, I was his manager. He was a really nice guy. Uh, but his work was very different to the way that we wanted it in the organization he joined. And so I had to keep giving him feedback about things that needed to change. And he found that quite hard at the beginning. So one day we're having a conversation and I'm saying to him, Russ, this needs to change. This bit needs to be more like this. This needs to be more like that. And he gets really, really upset with me and starts saying, no, no, it doesn't. I disagree with you. No, why are you, why are you saying that? So I start telling him, well, because of this, because of that, trying to be really calm and measured. But before I know it, it's escalating. and We find ourselves in conflict. And I'm thinking, what's going on? I'm, I'm normally okay at this, but right now I'm, I'm finding this hard. And I shoot up a little prayer in the middle of the conversation. And I say, God, would you help me? <laughs> what do I do? And I just felt this prompting to tell Russ what I thought of him in a good way. So I said to Russell, I really like you. I'm really glad that you're on my team. And I really was. I thought he was a really great guy. And I said to him, you're really good at your job. And I know that we both really want this work to be good. We really want this to go well. So I know we're going to be able to find a way through it, even though we're disagreeing at the moment. And in seconds, just like that, the whole conflict just dampened. And neither of us really knew quite what had happened. But we suddenly found that we were able to carry on talking about the work without anyone getting upset, without it feeling like an argument. We were listening to each other. We were taking stuff on board. And I learned after that that making him feel safe in that moment, reaffirming that relationship, really took all that tension. It really diffused that conflict. So that's my first tip, really, is make does the other person feel safe? I'm going to write it up, because I don't know about you, but I like visuals. And we didn't have PowerPoint. So does the other person feel safe? And there are three ways that you can start to make a person feel safe in conflict. The first is what I just explained. So that's affirming the relationship. So saying to whoever it is you're in conflict, I'm really glad that I'm serving on your team, or I'm really glad we're friends and I really value this friendship, or I'm really glad that I married you, or I'm so glad that God gave you to me as my child, or whatever the situation is, affirm the relationship. If you start off a conflict that way, it creates some safety where people can start to feel honest and they can start to hear what you have to say. So affirm relationship. The second way you can make people feel safe is to attack the issue, not the person. That might sound obvious, but when you're in a conflict, it's so easy to say, you aren't good at your job. You didn't handle that well. You aren't leading this team well. You aren't doing what you should be as a leader. You aren't doing what you should be as a husband. You aren't doing what you should be as a wife. You're attacking the person. If you make it about the issue instead, so I love you, or I care about you, or I'm glad I'm on your team, or whatever the context, and then say, this issue needs to change. So the you coming home late every night needs to change, but you I love. You're separating out the thing that you want to change from the person that you care about. You're attacking the issue, not the person. 
And this is how the Father treats us, isn't it? He doesn't say to us, here's an issue, until you sort that out, I'm not going to talk to you, or I'm going to be really angry with you. What he says is, I love you, I choose you, you're in relationship with me, and you are safe, and you are secure, and you're accepted, and nothing is going to change that. However, this bit of how you're living needs to change. And we know that in the context of, actually, even though this thing needs to change, he still loves me, I'm still safe, we're still in relationship. You often heard it said as, hate the sin, not the sinner. And that's what we're talking about, really. Attack the issue, not the person. So I'll write that up as well. When we do this, we're actually putting the gospel into action. We're showing the Father's heart. We're treating other people how he's treated us. And the third way that you can make people feel safe is simply by finding a point of unity. Now, that might sound hard when you're in conflict, but no matter how much you're disagreeing with someone, there usually is something that you can agree on. And this is a, a technique called the negotiation frame. And I'm not going to talk you through the technique because it's complex, but uh, it was used in all sorts of contexts, often in war conflict. It's used in marriage. It was used in the Northern Ireland peace process, uh, peace process to say, uh, a few years ago. Uh, and the way they did this is they sat down the two sides in the Northern Ireland uh, Troubles, and obviously they had very different views that caused them to be fighting for a number of years. It caused a lot of heartache and violence. And they disagreed on most things about how things should go forward in Northern Ireland. But the one thing they could all agree on is that they wanted things to be different for their children. And once they found a point that they could agree on, that actually this needs to change for the next generation, it created a safe foundation that they could then build on and start to work out, well, what could this look like then? So it doesn't solve the conflict, but it certainly gives you a safe parameter in which to have the conflict. And then when things get heated, you can always go back to that point of unity and say, like I said to Russ, my old colleague, we both want this piece of work to be good. Or it might be, we both want to reach the lost. We both want this mission or this ministry to succeed. We both want this marriage to work. So find a point of unity and keep going back to it to diffuse the conflict. So those are the three ways I'd say you can help someone feel safe. Let me just move this. I found this to be quite effective in a lot of the people that I've worked with. And actually, again, it's how God treats us. He reminds us when he tells us something needs to change that it's for our good and for his glory. And we all want what's good for us. And if we're believers, we also want what's for God's glory. So having that united point really helps us. The second way that you can respond to conflict, if you're making the person feel safe, that really helps. Second way is to deal with your own heart. I'm going to draw a little heart because I'm too lazy to write the whole sentence. Deal with your own heart. Now, this one might sound obvious, especially if you've been on Freedom in Christ courses or anything like that, then you've probably heard this concept before. But it's so easy to skip it in conflict. And my experience of helping people in all sorts of difficult relationships over the years I've realized that you can teach 
all the tips and tricks in the world. I could stand here and tell you five different processes for ways that you could deal with conflict and you could follow them point by point. You could say all the right words and still not have a healthy conflict because your heart isn't changed. And actually, only, only change comes when your heart is changed. So I'm going to share with you a work example I had because I think examples are helpful. Um, this was a, a work conflict that I had a, a while back where I worked with someone that just seemed to want to challenge me all the time. Almost everything I said, he disagreed with. Every time I had an idea, it was wrong. Uh, it just got to the point where every meeting felt like a conflict. And in that, he started to make comments about me, about my intentions that, that were untrue, started to accuse me of things. It became quite an unpleasant situation. And at first, I handled it okay. I responded in a measured way. I kept calm. I challenged what he said, but in a nice way. I just said, actually, this is a situation and just called out truth. But as time went on, I found that I wasn't responding to it as well. So what started out as me handling conflict really well uh, ended with me coming away from those conversations, feeling a little bit ashamed and not knowing why, feeling pretty angry and not being able to shake it. I found myself avoiding having meetings with this person and avoiding working with him. And it was just bothering me all the time. It was getting me down, and my husband can attest to that. <laughs> Uh, it really started to wear, wear me down. And so I turned to God. And I said, God, why am I finding this hard to deal with? I'm normally okay with conflict. Why is this one really tough? And as I sat and prayed about it, the Holy Spirit put his finger on a couple of different things. The first one was, over the course of months, I'd allowed a little bit of pride to creep in. So what had started off as me being calm and wanting to honor the other person had started to be a little bit of, well, who's he to tell me I'm wrong? I actually know what I'm talking about, thank you. Uh, it was kind of ugly stuff, actually. And so I had to really repent of that and see that my pride had started to get me to respond in quite a defensive way in our meetings, and I was adding to the conflict with that issue. The second thing that God put his finger on was that the way this person was interacting with me was reminding me of a conflict that I'd had years and years and years before. So when I was much younger, I'd had an ongoing conflict with someone who was in a position of authority, and I'd never resolved it. And this person, this new person that I've just started working with, was reminding me of that old conflict. So guess what's happening? All the emotion and the frustration from that previous conflict is coming up as I'm talking to this new person, and I'm starting to give him the full weight of something that has nothing to do with him. And it's meaning that I'm overreacting. It's meaning that uh, I'm feeling much worse about the situation than I need to. And as I started to work through that with God and deal with that previous situation and repent of it, it felt like cleaning out the house. And it meant that when I went back to face the person in the conflict, I felt quite differently about it. And I might be stating the obvious here, but if you pray for a conflict and you pray for a person you're in conflict with, you tend to find that as you're doing so, your heart starts to change. God shows you a different perspective. He starts to show you ways where you might have been going wrong and contributing to it yourself. But also he starts to show you what that person looks like in his eyes. It gives you a fresh perspective and you start to have some compassion and be able to love the person again.
you've got to be careful with that because it is really important to deal with your own heart, but you can't stop there. So if you're someone that likes to avoid conflict, you might be tempted to say, it's all my own fault. This is the stuff I've been bringing. And if I wasn't doing that, it would all be fine. I've dealt with it now, God. Let's just leave it there. But that is not healthy conflict. It takes two to have a conflict. And you are often going to be bringing something to it. But usually so is the other person. So you can tend to fall on either side of that. You can either go, it's all the other person's fault. It's usually not. Usually you're bringing something to it, even if you haven't seen it yet. But also, it's usually not just your fault. There's always going to be a mix, and it's helpful to ask God to help you unpick that. So deal with what's going on in your own heart, but still be real about what's left in the conflict that needs to be resolved. And uh, there's a famous verse in Matthew 7 where Jesus talks about taking the plank out of your own eye before dealing with the speck in your brother's. Whenever I read that, I always used to think that's about dealing with your own heart first. But I'd always overlooked the next bit, which says, then you can see the plank more clearly in your brother's eye in order to take it out. So it doesn't say you leave it there. It says you take it out. So you have still got to deal with the conflict. And in that situation I was telling you about, once I dealt with my own heart, I did start to feel like, okay, yeah, I can do this, actually. Uh, I can see it more clearly. I'm not being as defensive because I'm not bringing in all of the past stuff. I can be much calmer. And as I do that, I'm finding that this conversation is easier. I can rip off the plaster now. I can start to talk about this in a healthy way. And we sat down and we had a good chat about it uh, and started to clear the air. It wasn't an overnight solution. It was a gradual solution. But we began to be honest about the, the reality of the situation and work towards unity together. So that would be my next tip is deal with your own heart. First of all, I'd say always take it to God and be real with him about how you feel. I started off by ranting about this person and just saying what I thought. Some of it turned out not to be true, but I just needed to get it off my chest. And once I'd said it before God, the whole thing became clearer. Allow him to speak back to you. And if you find that difficult, or if God doesn't particularly put his finger on anything for you, which can sometimes happen, then talk to a trusted friend, someone that's mature, that loves Jesus. Tell them about the situation and be willing to hear where your own heart might need some dealing with. And the second aspect of dealing with your own heart is just watching your assumptions. So I'll tell you a story about uh, a time I was at the Brighton Conference. Anyone ever go to the Brighton Conference? Yeah? I used to love those. And West Point is, is great as well, isn't it? Um, I was listening to Toppy speak, and about four or five rows away from me to the right, there was a man talking through the whole seminar. I kid you not, he did not stop talking. Every other sentence he was chatting. And it was quite distracting. He wasn't really loud, but it was distracting, it was annoying. I started to get more and more wound up. I've got a bit of a bugbear about people being inconsiderate. You know how people have these things that annoy them? That that's really annoys me. So <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, why is he talking through Toppy's talk? That's really rude. I mean, a quick comment, fine, but it, it's constant getting more and more annoyed. Thoughts are starting to run through my head like, that man is so rude. That man is so inconsiderate. That man does not care about the effort that Toppy's put in. He doesn't care about the people around him and how he's distracting them. And actually, something needs to be said because if no one tells him it's not okay, he's going to ruin seminars for everyone else. Who does he think he is? That's really awful. Someone needs to say something. I'm going to say something. And this is actually quite unlike me. It's not unlike me to get annoyed about those things, but it's quite unlike me, to, unlike me to go to a stranger and tell them 
something's not okay. But I really felt strongly that this was very disordering, rude behavior. Uh, and so I got up, all riled up. And as I was climbing over my friend to get to this man, my friend said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go and tell that man that he's really rude for talking through that whole seminar. And my friend said, that's, that's fine, but the person next to him is foreign and he's their interpreter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it was a quick and hard lesson that you don't know the reason why. All you know is the action and the behavior that you're seeing. What you don't know is what's going on inside or the motivation. And we can jump to a lot of conclusions. We can assume that we know. And we can make a lot of judgments. And that only fuels the conflict. So I would say when dealing with your own heart, yes, go before God and talk to someone, but also watch the assumptions that you're making. Ask questions and seek to understand first, because it might not be how you think it is. And then finally, in dealing with conflict, it's important to keep checking your agenda. So when you're in the conflict, you've got one of three choices, really. You can either be on your agenda, their agenda, or God's agenda. If you're on your agenda, you'll know because you want to win. If you're on your agenda, you'll be making sure that your rights are heard, that your needs are acknowledged, and the way that you come across, whether you realize it or not, will be more forceful because you want to win. So I'm going to write up here whose agenda. When you're on your agenda, it doesn't feel great for the person on the receiving end because they can tell you're on your agenda and they can tell you want to win. And that's probably going to provoke a bit of defensiveness and a bit of a reaction. So what you're very quickly going to do if you go in on your agenda is you're going to start risking breaking unity. You're not going to get the outcome you want. Alternatively, you can be on their agenda. So you can go in thinking, what is it the other person wants? Now, it's healthy to understand what they want and what their viewpoint is. Like I said, it's good to ask questions and check assumptions. But if you're seeking to fulfill their agenda, what you'll find yourself tempted to do is to pacify. You'll start thinking, what do they want that I could do that would just end this conflict? Whatever you want, just have it, because I want this to be over, because we don't like conflict. And when you do that, all you're doing is papering over the cracks again. You're squishing it down again, and you're faking unity. So that's also not going to help. Your agenda doesn't feel great. Their agenda doesn't help you. God's agenda, that's the one that's going to give you healthy conflict. God's agenda in conflict, ultimately, is always truth and reconciliation. That is the whole narrative of Jesus' life. He's come to tell you the truth and to reconcile you to the Father. And when we do that, when we live with conflict that is God's way, with God's agenda, we should find ourselves understanding that unity matters to God, because it's missional, because we're called to it. It matters because he died for it. And that should give us the courage to speak up because we know that unity is important. And it should mean that we can speak the truth in love. We often say that phrase, don't we? Speak the truth in love. Uh, but what we really mean when we say that is, I'm just telling you what I think and you should hear it because I can speak the truth in love. But to really say it in love is to say it in a way that makes the other person feel safe 
that affirms the relationship, that says you're safe with me and I care about you, you matter to me, and this conflict is not putting our relationship under threat. When you're saying the truth in love, you're attacking the issue, not the person, the sin, not the sinner. And you're looking to find points of unity because you're working to an end goal of unity and reconciliation. And you're dealing with your own heart. You're humble, you're willing to hear that you might be contributing to the conflict. When you do conflict that way, you should find that it's more likely to be a restoring conflict, one that heals relationships, that strengthens them. You're more honest, you've built a stronger foundation. And we can all get this wrong sometimes. I still get this wrong sometimes. Even though I know this stuff, it's an ongoing battle, it's an ongoing learning journey. But there's no condemnation for us when we get it wrong. When we get it right, when we get it right, we can model something that is so different to the way that the world handles conflict. We can model it in a way that shows a commitment to unity and reconciliation that is an absolute wonder to the world in a way that they should look at it and say, they're showing the Father's heart by the way they live. They should look at us and see that we care enough to conflict, that we love each other enough to conflict well, and that we're doing it for their good and for his glory. So, I'd like to give you a few minutes to think about what you've heard and to reflect on it. I'm assuming that most of you have come here because you've either got a conflict that you're in at the moment or you've had one before that didn't feel very comfortable or that you found difficult. So I'm actually going to invite you to stand if you can. So think about that conflict. I'm not going to make you do anything embarrassing, don't worry. Some of you are looking a bit nervous. Think about that conflict, either the conflict you're in or a conflict you've been in that you found uncomfortable or you feel like maybe you didn't handle it how you wanted to. You might want to close your eyes, but it helps you to concentrate. And I just want to give you a couple of moments to think about what you've heard and to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to put his finger on some things for you. Ask questions like, what's been going on in my heart in this conflict? What needs to change? What needs to change to make this a healthy conflict? Have I made the other person feel safe? Am I attacking the issue or am I attacking the person? Whose agenda have I been on? Have I been on my agenda? Have I been too much on their agenda? Or am I on God's agenda? Just spend a moment or two asking him and listening. As you're asking and listening, begin to talk to him about it. Begin to ask him for a way forward to help, him to help you make it a healthy conflict. 
And as you're doing so, I've invited Ella from the worship team to just come and sing a song over us, just to help us connect with God if we're struggling, just to help us focus our minds. You don't have to join in if you don't want to. You can just carry on talking to God as she sings these words over us to help us. Search me, O oh God, search me and find any way in me that does not reflect your purity. Find me, O oh God, in the fire of your gaze, that I might be holy in all of your to reflect on unity. Thank you, Father, that we get the opportunity to be a witness for you in the way that we respond to conflict. Forgive us, Lord, for where we've got it wrong because we've all fallen short sometimes. But help us, Lord, help us to catch your heart for unity and to be bold, to be uh, peacemakers, not peacekeepers that we would find the courage to stand and to speak, but that we would do so in love, seeing people as you see them. Lord, help us, and I pray for every person here, 
that when they next head into a conflict, when they next find themselves in conflict, that you would speak to them, that you would remind them of your heart for unity, but also for truth, that you would give them courage and help them to, to bring reconciliation in everywhere they go. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Okay, if you want to take your seats, uh, I thought it would be good to just take a few questions, if anyone's got questions. Uh, so give me a wave just before we finish. Any questions on handling conflict? Yep. That's a good that's a good question. So the question was, what if you come to a point where the other person doesn't want to interact with you? You can only control your response. So if we flip back over event plus response equals outcome, you can't control the way someone else responds. Your responsibility is just to make sure that every time you interact, you're doing so in a way that is godly, that is loving, that's looking for reconciliation, but also speaking truth. And if they choose not to engage, you, you can't control that, as long as your conscience is clear. I think I would also say um, never stop being in a position where reconciliation is possible, if that makes sense. So always leave yourself open to future reconciliation, ev even if the person doesn't seem to want it at the moment and still maybe continually try from time to time. It's tough. Reco conflict is hard. And you can only be in control of the bit that you're responsible for. Yep. So the question was, yeah, I see what you're saying. So the question's along the lines of, what if you want to show God's heart to someone in conflict, uh, but they don't see it as that, and they're just getting angry and, and just not really wanting any involvement with you? And, and again, I would say, you can only do your bit. So you can explain your heart keep loving them, keep expressing love for them, keep affirming the relationship. Um, it can be that some people take longer to feel safe than others, uh, particularly depending on the background of the person. Uh, so sometimes it will take a lot of affirming the relationship before they're ready to hear anything else. And that comes with wisdom and it comes with knowing the person. Just keep loving, I would say. John, did you have a question? That's a good question. So if you didn't hear that at the back, uh, what was asked is, if we're happy to go into conflict, but the other person doesn't think there's a conflict and is denying there's any issue, then what do you do? I think in those situations, um, I'd say, first of all, look at how you've approached the conflict. So I'd say, um, look at your own heart, which I know sounds like a hard thing to say, but it might be that the way that you've gone into it might have come across as though you wanted to win. We, we talked about agendas. If you go in wanting to make sure that your agenda is heard and that the other person uh, 
apologizes or backs down, then they might be defensive or might even try and sidestep the conflict. Uh, so that would probably be my first thought, is look at how you've approached the conflict, and if there's a way that you could make the person uh, feel more safe, or if you could um, go in being clear that your uh, agenda is reconciliation. If the other person doesn't think there's a conflict, then to be honest with you, there probably isn't. So there might have been an issue, but it, if the other person's saying we're not in conflict, then you're kind of creating a conflict by saying there is, if that makes sense. Uh, and this is where it gets a little bit blurry. So conflict isn't necessarily the same as an offense or a sin. So I could have talked to you about, um, I actually can't remember what it was in scripture, but there's a scripture that says uh, if someone sins against you, uh, talk to them about it. If they don't you know, understand, then go and talk to them again, bring someone else with you, all that kind of stuff. But actually, conflict isn't always about someone sinned against you. Uh, it can just be that you disagree on something or got different viewpoints. And in that situation, if the other person's saying, well, it's fine, uh, then I would say agree to disagree as long as the relationship can continue. Again, you can only do your part, um, but it, it might be worth, if someone's refusing to talk about it, it might be worth trying a second time, but a different way. I love, uh, it's a famous quote, but Einstein's quote about keep doing the same things but expecting different results. You can't keep approaching conflict the same way. If someone's not hearing what you're saying, you've got to try a different approach. Other questions? I think I saw a hand up at the back somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so the question was, uh, how do you handle conflict? Firstly, in a situation where your work is just naturally conflict, high conflict by nature of the work. And secondly, when someone you work with is hypersensitive and takes everything very, very personally. Um, that is probably not that dissimilar to the situation that I was describing uh, when I said I was in conflict with someone at work before. I would say, first of all, um, it's gonna take extra time to make that person feel safe a lot of extra time, and you're probably gonna have to work at that relationship for a lot longer. I think secondly, uh, you need to heavily, heavily focus on attack issue, not person. So that involves being very careful with your language. So every time you say something, you make sure that the language is neutral. Um, I could talk about this for ages, it's, it's a complex subject, but uh, neutral language is uh, saying, for example, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. I, I, I find this hard because I use quite dramatic language naturally. So if I don't, like spiders, for example, I hate spiders. That's my natural reaction. I hate spiders. They're disgusting. Um, but if I'm wanting to talk to someone about spiders who love spiders, if I say I hate spiders, it's probably not going to be helpful for them. So I have to be more objective and say, um, I personally find spiders difficult because um, I have a phobia about the number of legs they have, and I've I'm uncomfortable with the way that they move, but I know that's my issue. So I'm making it very neutral so that the other person can't take offense with what I'm saying. I know it's a silly example, but the principle applies uh, in all sorts of ways. Does that help? Any other questions? Yeah, Joe. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. That's a really, really good question. How does it change when the person's in a position of leadership or a boss, so they might have some authority over you? Um, it does depend on the relationship you have with your boss and what kind of person they are. If you've got a good relationship, then just 
starting by affirming that relationship again, you should usually be okay. Um, but again, you've got to you've got to make sure that you go in on a neutral agenda. Uh, so. I know that if someone came to me when I was leading uh, a team in the, my old company, if they came to me and started making demands and accusations, I probably wouldn't respond very well to it at first, even if what they were saying was quite valid because of the way that they were saying it. So I would say be very careful that what you're saying is constructive, um, that it's honoring the other person, that it's about issues, not people, same stuff. Um, but I would say still do it. Um, and I would still reaffirm the relationship. So I have actually done this with bosses previously where I've, I've had something I've not been very happy about and I've started by saying I really love my job I'm s I really love being part of your team um, and I really enjoy what I'm doing but there's this one thing that I've come across that I'm finding really difficult and I need to talk to you about it because it's important that we get this sorted because this job matters to me and being on your team matters to me so making it as safe as possible making sure that they feel respected and that you're not challenging their authority as you say it any more questions? Yep. Yeah, that's a great question. So the question was about um, having two sons that conflict with each other and fight a lot, as kids often do, and, and in context of me saying that uh, my brothers and I have quite healthy conflict. Uh, the reality is when we were younger, we didn't have very healthy conflict. Uh, we used to have blazing rows, particularly because I was the only Christian out of the three of us, so they would love to poke me about my faith and I would love to erupt in ways that were not a good witness. Uh, so I think some of it just comes with maturity. Um, uh, that's the reality of it. When you're young, you, you just haven't the emotional maturity to regulate yourself. Uh, but I think in terms of helping people have more healthy conflict at that age, uh, dealing with your own heart first is still a good principle. So emotional health of the child or the teenager, uh, being able to process how you feel and feel okay with feeling frustration and anger, but, but directing it in the right way. So that's why taking it to God or trusted friend or parent is really good. So teaching them, not that it's wrong to get angry with your brother, but actually your anger needs to be directed and expressed before God. And then when it's come out, you should be able to approach your brother a bit more differently. Um, I think the other thing would be about helping them find points of unity. So when they're fighting over something, okay, wha what is it you both want? You're both wanting to actually have a really good day. So what's the best way that we could all have a really good day? It could be that you do this and then you do this. So helping them to find a point of common ground again. I haven't had any children, so I can't say I've practiced those things, but that would be my application of it from what I know. Any more questions? No? Okay, lovely. Well, thank you very much for coming. Uh, good luck with your future conflict. <laughs> God bless.